Well, good morning. Happy uh, day to each of you. And uh, I know we're in for a treat. I want to say it's an honor to be able to speak with to you this morning. And uh, I was uh, delighted when I got the call from Dr. McNulty inviting us to come. And sorry, my wife couldn't come and my two boys, but uh, maybe tomorrow I can stick in a picture and let you at least see uh, how beautiful they are. You know, when they built the Golden Gate Bridge, they uh, had a lot of fatalities at first because it's a bridge and it's dangerous and it was a long time ago. And it, it began to play way down on the morale of those who were trying to construct it. In fact, the whole project was starting to fall dreadfully behind schedule. And, and, and so in an effort to try to, uh, you know, r- get a handle on this thing, they, they sought all sorts of ideas of what can we do to to build the morale of the team. Well, with them literally dropping like flies to their death, they decided that the best thing to do would be to build a large net to go underneath the Golden Gate Bridge, or what was being constructed. And so that's what they did. It seemed kind of strange. It seemed kind of unique. It seemed kind of daunting and expensive. But hey, desperate times demand desperate measures. They built that large net... And sure enough, the morale quickly boosted because all of a sudden they had no more fear. And they began to build to such a pace that they got ahead of schedule. And the thing, of course, is still there for us to enjoy today. The point is, is they learned to change their fear into faith. And I want to encourage you this morning as we take a look at Hebrews that indeed God has a plan for us to change fear into faith. The title of our talk here this morning is A Radical Faith. Next three mornings, I want to look at three different aspects of life as a Christian and the radical call that God has placed upon each of us. And so first today, radical faith, the spiritual walk, the personal communion between you and your Savior. Let us pray. Father, I pray that as we open your word, that you would make it plain to us, that you would give clarity to my lips, that your Holy Spirit would anoint each of our hearts, and that we would leave different than when we came. It's the start of a new day, all of the possibilities it affords. And of course, this is a special day for where we've gathered and what we're about to do, but we want to begin it with you. Place the promises deep in our hearts so we can claim them throughout our day. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd invite you to look with me at the screen, or if you have your Bible, you're welcome to look. And uh, I want you to notice Matthew 5, 17 to 18, no doubt a a familiar passage if you're uh, used to giving Bible studies. Do not think that I came to destroy the law, Jesus says, or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot, one tittle will by no means pass from the law, Till all is fulfilled. Now this this passage evokes all sorts of questions as we try to ponder, well, what does it mean by fulfill? And of course, some people, of course, as you know, believe that means the law has been done away with. But in case we have forgotten the the familiar passages that help to rebuttal that claim, I would take you to Romans 3.31 where it says, Do we then make void the law through faith? No, certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. We establish the law. So I could, we might could say we fulfill the law. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, I know it's early. We fulfill the law. 
okay? So I'm from Tennessee, so this is not that early to me. <laughs> um, anyway, um, we fulfill the law. And, and so this is what we're looking at here. Jesus, he came, he fulfilled the law, but then he has this interesting statement. Until heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle will not pass until the law is fulfilled. So, I want to take you to Hebrews, because here we see how he establishes the law. It says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts. In their minds, I will write them. And then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Now, I'm just establishing a, a framework for which we'll go into our study this morning. But I want you to notice, the Bible is very clear that Jesus fulfilled the law. And then at the end of time, we should expect this law to be fulfilled in his people. Amen? Let me build that case a little bit more. Go with me to Colossians 1.27, where it's that fa famous passage that says, This is the mystery of God, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He writes his law in there, but how does he write his? He comes inside if we'll open the door. Revelation 10, 7 says that the mystery of God will be finished in the last days. So indeed, Christ is wanting to fulfill, to establish his character in your life in these last days. And when we're living in these last days, we understand that we're being called to a radical faith. That means we are going to do faith and Christianity different than the most of the world. And I'm trying to establish with you what this looks like. The mystery of God, Christ in us, the hope of glory. The law being inscribed not in rock, but in hearts. It says in, in um, Revelation 12, 17, this is a, a vignette of what the end time saints look like. It says... Um, the dragon was enraged with the woman. He went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have what? The testimony of Jesus. And of course, you're familiar with Revelation 19.10 that says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Here we see in Christ's people, in that, that prophetic language, that these last day people are going to have the law and the prophets in them. It will be fulfilled. Amen? Okay, so going back to Matthew 5, or no, let's first go to 1 Peter, or 2 Peter, excuse me, 3.10. It says that um, it makes it clear that the day of the Lord will come as the thief in the light in which the heavens will pass away and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it are burned up. In other words, the heavens and the earth, which Matthew said, or Jesus said in Matthew, will be burned up, it, or will be, uh, that's, let me start over. At the end, Jesus says the law will be fulfilled when the heavens and earth pass away. They won't, pass, they won't be fulfilled until, all right, ah, let me start over. Are you tracking with me? Um, there we go. I needed that. Heaven and earth will not pass away till the, till the law is fulfilled in his people. And indeed, here we see that when the, when the, when the earth and the, and the heavens pass away is when? He comes again. That's all I tried to say, and I took a long time to say it, but I think you've got it. Now, Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but it says very clearly his words will not pass away. So when we see the law being fulfilled, the law being fulfilled does not mean the law is done away with. It means it is fulfilled. It is established within the hearts of his people. Amen? Again, hopefully this is review. But notice, 
Matthew 5, 17 to 18. Again, this is to be realized in God's end time people. The testimony who keep the commandments and have the testimony of Jesus. We are these people that God wants to demonstrate to the universe, to the world, that here are a people who were willing to live a radical faith with me. Now, that said... Of course, Revelation 14, 1 to 5, that, test, that picture of the, of the 144,000, these beautiful people who go through earth's most trying hour, who have a testimony similar to that of Job, who can say with clarity that I have gone through earth's darkest hour, but I have clung by faith to God because his character, he was in me. This is the character. This is the experience of the saints. Now, I'm sure if you're like me that you find it troubling that after 170 plus years, we still are evidently as a whole haven't opened a door. I mean, he's still knocking. When we hear how Jesus nearly came back in 1888, and yet because we were so busy arguing our points, refusing to humble ourselves, we miss the opportunity to fulfill, to fully reflect the glory of God. How sad. And yet, here's my concern, is that we could be on the precipice yet again and yet have the same squabbles. Amen? Maybe different content, but same squabbles. Inspiration says this in Great Controversy 468. The hope of salvation is accepted without a radical change of heart or reformation of life. Thus, superficial conversions abound. Multitudes are joined to the church who have never been united to Christ. This morning, I want to um, take you to Paul's writing there in Hebrews 10. And this is our study this morning. I just was all review. <laughs> but I want us to go to Hebrews 10 because here, I believe, Paul gives three simple but, but very clear Steps are ways in which we can embrace Christ in us, the hope of glory. I invite you to open your Bibles there to Hebrews chapter 10, if you brought them with you, or your smartphones, tablets, whatever. But open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. And I want to pick up with verse 19. Now, as we go there, I want you to be reminded that the rest of the first part of Hebrews has been anticipating this moment. For nearly 10 chapters, he has been building the case. And then in chapter 10, verses 1 to 18, he sort of brings it to a head. And then he says these words. Therefore. I'm going to have to use the screen. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is... His flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us what? Draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure pure water. Now, going back to verse 19, you can see, oh, you can see that indeed when he says, therefore, that we have experienced a transition. Because of what I've been saying, here's what I want you to take note of. 
I want you to take note of that because of this good news. What good news? It's, the, it's in verses 16 and 17. It's that good news of the new covenant. Amen? Of, of us being establishing the law through Christ's grace. Amen? And because of this, here's how you could experience it. Here's how you can allow him to write it in your heart. Therefore, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We don't have to hang our heads low. We can come in with boldness into the throne of his grace. I like the way the ESV puts it. It says, since or because of the blood or the life of Jesus, we have confidence to enter his presence. And he makes this notion of the sacrifice even more clear when he says a new and living way. If you go and you look at the original there, the new is actually in the Septuagint. The word is not used in the New Testament really except for here. But, but it's in the, in the Septuagint, it means fresh. Fresh. And, and, and so it is that Jesus' sacrifice is fresh every time you call on it. Amen? It's as though he has just given his life for you. No, we don't believe in that it's, it's, a, it's a fresh, you know, a new sacrifice. It's only one sacrifice, but it's fresh for you. And a new and living way. It says it provides a living way. For did Jesus not say, I am the truth, the way, and the life? You remember in the story of the sanctuary that, that the only way forward, the only way to progress, to go into the inner sanctum, was to go by the blood of the Lamb. And so Paul is drawing us, or showing us how we can draw near, how we can come in to the very throne of God. So let us draw near with a true heart, that is with a genuine heart. And let us have our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. I want to remind you what it says in verse 2, when it says, For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more, what? Consciousness of sins. Implying in that context, implying that when Jesus, the Lamb of God, was slain, his fresh sacrifice is going, when received, allows you to no longer have to have the consciousness of your old sins. If he's willing to put it behind him, we must be willing to put it behind us. Amen? It takes faith. Come on. If it's the really bad thing that you did so many years ago or maybe not that long ago. If it's that really terrible thing that haunts you and that you wake up and you bring and dredge back up. God says, listen, if you've accepted the sacrifice, this is an intellectual faith. You have to trust that we've, we've put it behind us. It says that this draws us. Draw, according to the lexicon, says that it means to move forward towards someone or something. And there's a possible implication in the context of a reciprocal relationship. Meaning that just like with the prodigal son, Jesus comes to us. He's knocking on our door, right? He's coming to us and we're coming to him. It's, it's, it's like the grand, grand climax in which the father and the son come running into each other's arms. But a note of caution is in order here. Many today appear to suggest that salvation is more a profession than an experience. I profess Jesus as my Savior. I believe it. And thus, I have it. But surrender is the key to this being realized. And this is unpopular today. Amen? Surrender. 
Notice these powerful statements taken from the pen of inspiration. It says, in the change that takes place when the soul surrenders to Christ, there is the highest sense of freedom. The expulsion of sin is what? Is the act of the soul itself. True, we have no power to free ourselves from Satan's control. But when we desire to be set free from sin, in our great need, cry out for a power out and above ourselves. The powers of the soul are imbued with the divine energy of the Holy Spirit. And they obey the dictates of the will in fulfilling the will of God. This isn't just simply something that you sign on the line and you go home. It's a living experience in which the soul is actively engaged. Amen? Notice this. uh, Mount of blessings. Until we are willing, the transforming grace of God cannot be manifest upon us. Until we are willing. In other words, I have, you have a choice to make. And it's not just that day when you gave your heart to Jesus. It's moment by moment. It's when the temptation comes in your face. And it's choosing that very moment. I I sure want this, but I'm going to choose Jesus. Amen? It's kind of like um, I hear uh, uh, Thomas Davis, I believe, in his book, tells the story of, of, um, of how to be a victorious Christian. He writes that... It's kind of like in a cold, cold blizzard. Everything in you says, I just need to stop, sit, and be warm and rest. But your head tells you, I must press on. Amen? Our old ways tell us, I I want to just give up the fight. I just want to enjoy whatever that temptation is. But our head tells us, no, this is not the way to happiness. I don't see it. I don't feel it. But I believe it. And I cling to Jesus. And it's then when I choose him that what? Wow, this this overwhelming power and grace floods the soul and the heart is changed. Amen? Notice, notice what she writes here in First Selected Message 366. God requires the entire surrender of the heart before what? Before justification can take place. And in order for man to retain justification, there must be continual obedience through active living faith that works by love and purifies the soul. This is not popular today, is it? Folks, righteousness by faith is a free gift from above, but we must choose it. Therefore, let's be clear, this is a matter of the will. It's clear that our part in this salvation experience is choosing moment by moment, in the heat of the moment, to surrender to Jesus. It's a a battle of the will. Will I surrender this matter to him or will I take charge myself? So, draw near in faith, Paul tells us. Then, Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So, hold, draw near in faith. Second, 
let us hold fast in the hope. Here's how you continue in ever drawing near to Christ. It's holding fast to the promises of God. I hope this is Christianity 101. I hope this is all familiar. But just to make sure we're clear on this point, radical faith is radical surrender. Amen? It's daily. It's moment by moment. It's the moment any temptation comes my way, intentionally choosing, living in his presence so that I am reminded, God, left, right, which way? And I choose his will over mine. That's freedom. That's power. But he never takes away the choice. So we hold fast to his promises. Think of any relationship you have that's long distance. It's based on the frequency. We had some really good friends when we were in Crossville. And I mean, really just dear friends. And we would still get together when they lived in Crossville. We'd meet together in Knoxville or what have you. But then they moved to Oregon. And so now we still call, we still, you know, send notes, what have you. But I'm telling you, when we get back together, it's going to take time. Amen. I mean, we're talking the kind of people that you go over and you just put your feet on their, on their, um, not on their furniture. Yeah, on their furniture. You know what I'm saying. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. It's those kind of people. But it takes a regular getting together in order to have that comfort. Otherwise, when we get back together, it takes time to kind of get back to that point. It's, it, it, with Jesus, it's like you call him in the morning and you leave the phone off the hook. Amen? And you keep him on the line. And the beauty is, is that he's listening. He's watching. He's holding on to you every step, listening for when you call out. I mean, it's just, it's just beautiful, folks. The battle for the Christian is not centered about around addictions. It's around the very point of drawing near and holding fast. Don't let your focus be on whatever that temptation is, whatever that addiction is. That's focusing on a problem that's bigger than you. But just simply focus on will I choose him or what? Because he's all powerful. Will I choose him or will I choose this addiction? Who will rule my life? When I'm tempted, the temptation, regardless of its nature, involves one response from me and one only, regardless of what the temptation is. It's, will I surrender this to Jesus this very moment? Or will I take charge? When I choose to say no, he justifies me. He empowers me. And so we must bathe ourselves in his presence. You know, I've got two little boys, seven and eight, eight and nine. They've moved up. And my oldest son, my youngest too, but my oldest son, he's, he's a little older, of course. And so they, they, we're starting them later in school. And so they're, they're just, our oldest is just now starting to read, but still not to the point where he can read a lot. And, and so we have put the Bible on their iPods. And it's pretty much the Bible and scripture songs. And because I want them to be bathed. Amen. I mean, I, want them to, I, mean, I know it's, it's got some words and big words, but it, it, be bathed. And I heard him, he was trying to swat at a fly the other day or whatever. And when he hit it, he, I forget what he said, but he said something biblical. <laughs> Don't you want the Bible to permeate every part of your being? You need those promises. It needs to come out. And not necessarily when you're swatting the fly, but at any moment, the words just roll off. 
Because you're saturating yourself. You're filling the sponge to the max with the words of God. When I choose to say no, he justifies me. When I choose to say no to sin, say yes to him, he justifies me. And inspiration says, you must make a daily personal consecration of all to God. You must daily renew your covenant to be his holy and forever. Place no dependence upon changeable feelings, but plant your feet upon the sure platform of the promises of God. Thou hast said it. I believe the promise. It's an intelligent faith. A feeling of assurance is not to be despised. We should praise God for it. But when your feelings are depressed, do not think that God has changed. Praise him just as much. Because you trust his word and not your feelings. Just as Jesus held fast to the promises of the word in the wilderness when he was tempted by the devil, so we have within our grasp the word of God, the power of God. Every rebuttal necessary for every temptation, yes, even those here in the 21st century. So, first, draw near in faith. Hold fast to the hope. But lastly, let us consider one another in love says, let us consider one another in love, uh, one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, this is, um, this is a challenge, I think, especially for the younger generation today. And I'm assuming this has always been the case. But it says we are to be thoughtful and considerate of one another, stirring up love and good works. And based on the context, it's in the context of the fellowship with the family. And I speak, yes, biological, but I'm speaking here of the church family. Because you see, the church family is a little different than the family out in the world. The family out in the world, typically you don't know them as well as you know the church family. And here's the rub. When you know somebody well... Well, you usually find more than you want to find out. Right? Oh, come on. Right? And, and sometimes I wonder if, if God allows somebody to be in every church, at least one, that you just don't like. Right? Come on. But I believe it's by design. I believe it's by design. Because usually it's that person that needs your love. Right? Yeah, I'm serious. And just as was so beautifully expressed last night with the patient that was so irate, God is calling you with that opportunity, dare I say, to love your enemy. Right? You see, that's different than the world loves. World loves, it's, it's the stuff of Hollywood. It's, it's when they love you back. It's when they make you feel good. It's when they do something for you. The love that is different, the love that is unique, is the kind of love that, that loves the unlovable, that loves the, kind, the ones that stick it right at you. 
say backbiting things that you can't feel like you totally trust. Love them. Mold them. Fashion them. Let God use you to fashion them into his image. And truth be told, it's usually those dear saints that all they needed was somebody to love them and they blossom. But anyway, the key point here is, is don't forsake assembling of yourselves together. Because if you forsake the assembling of yourselves together, you won't have time to visit. And if you don't have time to visit, you don't build that deep relationship. And if you don't build that deep relationship, it's kind of hard to love. Follow? And I, if I could be so blunt, this is particularly probably relevant to physicians. Right? I mean, your schedules are outrageous and, and, and you have call perhaps every other week. And, and when you have that one week where well, you've got to have family time and, and it's, it, it's, it's, you're, you're very, you find yourself very susceptible, fair enough, to crowding out that assembly. And Paul, Paul is telling us through, God is telling us through Paul. I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. Paul is telling us that this is one of the key ingredients to establishing the covenant in your heart. This is how God writes it out. By the assembling of yourselves together. By the fellowship. So that there we can practice what we've experienced. We're going to be talking more about this tomorrow and really Sunday. This is, cause this is, this is the struggle. If, if, you know, if, if everybody was just, um, if everybody just worked with us, everything would be okay, Right? Whether it's prayer meetings, small groups, Sabbath school, worship hour, I don't know. But if you're not having that experience, then you're not. Because let's face it, loving your family, if you can do a good job at that, you can probably do a good job with the community. But if you can't love the family, and folks, I mean, you read the things flying around on the internet today. We, we really, we've had our work cut out for us, don't we? Don't we? Clearly from the structure of Hebrews, this is necessary in the experience of salvation. The church, like the home, is the laboratory for love to be developed and grown. It affords us the opportunity to love each other in spite of what we know. It, 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 it's God's design. Social psychologists and um, police officers tend to agree on this point that if a window in a building is broken and is left unrepaired... All the rest of the windows will soon be broken. This is true of nice neighborhoods, mind you, as well as run-down ones. Window breaking does not necessarily occur on a large scale because some areas are inhabited by determined window breakers. Not the case. Whereas others are populated by non-window breakers. One unrepaired, broken window is a signal to the rest... That no one cares. The church today is struggling with some broken windows. Amen? Apathy, complacency, and disorder are contagious. You know, 
If we look and act and speak as if we don't care, why should we expect everyone else around us to care? Let's mend our broken windows, clean up our litter and graffiti, that we may have the positive, encouraging influence befitting those who have been brought with the, bought with the precious blood of Jesus. So three directives are given in response to the good news of the covenant. Draw near in faith, hold fast the hope, and consider one another in love. Before I close, I think it's W.W. Prescott, who in, I believe, 19, or 1896, spoke for the camp meeting. It may have been 1895. But anyway, spoke for a camp meeting in which Ellen White said the Holy Spirit poured out in amazing measure. God used this man. So that should create a desire in your heart to want to read, well, what did he preach? Right? When you look at what he preached, one of the messages that just really stood out to me is the message about the temple and the stone and the law. He says, and I'm, I'm of course, obviously paraphrasing here, but he said, you know, when you looked at the temple, it was just a, a stone building, stone structure, kind of, um, you know, it's all right, but it's just a big stone structure. Looks rather imposing, perhaps, rather fearful, frightening, if you will. He says, if you were to go and to step into that temple, you, and, and, and this is scriptural, by the way. It's not like he just made this unique point. I mean, the text actually says that from the inside of the temple, it was covered with cedar and gold. And you could not see the stone, the text says. You couldn't see a single stone from the inside. From the outside, just a stone building. From the inside, sheer gold. Glory. Beautiful. And he goes to make this important point. The law of God is the same way. From the outside, it's an imposing stone. Hang it on your refrigerator. Put it on your nightstand. But it's still, at the end of the day, an imposing stone. But let Jesus come into your heart. And you all of a sudden see glory. You don't see the stone. Why? Because he's establishing the law in your heart. It's fulfilled. Not one jot or tittle will disappear until heaven and earth pass away. When will heaven and earth pass away? When Jesus comes. When will Jesus come? When he sees a people who have opened the door. And when we open the door, he will come in and we'll no longer see the stone. The law will no longer be out there. It'll be in here. I want that, don't you? To have that. It's not just one statement. It's a moment by moment surrender. Choosing by our will that he's still given us. To choose for him to live inside me. And when I'm faced with that temptation, folks, I know this sounds, you say, well, you know, I already knew that preacher. Why don't you tell me something this morning I didn't know? Well, if we knew it, he'd be here. Faith, hope, and love. But you guessed it. The greatest of these is love. Sweet Jesus, what a wonder you are. You're our, you're our creator. You're our savior. You carry the scars to tell us when we come that we can see. Without a word spoken, we can see what you did for us. We can't wait to be embraced by those arms, to be touched by those nail-pierced hands. And even though we're grown, 
We can't wait to crawl into your lap. To be held by you, to be rocked by you like a mother rocks her newborn babe. And to weep at your feet, to crest our crowns at your feet. Heaven was cheap enough. Lord, would you prepare us to that end and help us to intellectually choose to surrender all to you. Yes, Lord, we love you. But Lord, our love is weak. Our desires are often strong, but for the wrong things. Whereas our desires for the things of you and God are, 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 not, are not what they should should be. So help where our faith, our desires are too strong and also help us where our desires are too weak. Lord, we want to surrender all to you afresh today. And when the temptations come, would you please remind us in your own sweet way that there's a choice to be made. Stop us before it's too late and may we choose Christ. This is our desire. This is our want. And Lord, would you help us to love one another as you love us? Even those that we find a little unlovable. So Lord, please go with us this day. We've got a lot before us. We're excited. A lot of conversations, fellowship, growing together. Would you bless the food that we're about to partake? Bless the fellowship that we're about to share. Bless the learning that it may stay that we might be vessels for you so that you can fill us, you can shine your glory in this dark world and we can go home forever. We love you. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.